0: Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we have had several weeks just really feeding on. This chapter six in John's Gospel. We're in Year B, so that normally we're looking at Mark's Gospel, but we've had this wonderful interlude in John on this uh, chapter six, which begins with that feeding of the five thousand and goes on to Jesus's long discourse, where he says, "Don't look for after the physical food, but look." To the food that feeds you to eternal life. He says, when we receive Him, we are fed with the bread of life. Those who receive this bread will never go hungry or thirsty. He's not talking about our physical food but he is talking about those appetites those deep longings those deep hungers and thirsts that we have deep within our souls and he says I will feed you I will fill all of those empty places those who receive this bread will be raised on the last day. The same resurrected body, a physical body that was Jesus' at his resurrection and that he will give to us in him when he returns at the last day. We will, we will be raised with him as we just sang. He returned in the flesh to the Godhead. He returned. He didn't just kind of become spiritualized when he ascended to God the Father. He retained that resurrected body, and even now, our humanity, resurrected so that it will never die, is in the Godhead. That's a mystery. But his fleshly body, which was more spiritual because it would never die, was that body which ascended in which we will receive when he comes back again. We who receive this bread pass from death to eternal life. That's not something that happens when we die. Right now, those who have been baptized into Christ into his death and into his resurrection have received eternal life we are living breathing eternal life people we've received eternal life now that's why in the burial office we say that life is not ended it is changed but it is not ended we right now have eternal life when we pass through the veil that will look different when Christ returns it will look different again but through baptism through dying with him in his death and being raised to him to new life we have eternal life right now don't wait for it in the future we have it right now So he's been talking about this. There's been the images of the manna that God provided. He provided food for the crowds on the mountainside. Um, He is the true bread that came down from heaven. If they were confused then, how much more so now? Because what he says sets them on their heels I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood blood you have no life in you imagine those words coming to you he's just been talking about the bread that comes down from heaven some confusion there but this is the climax of the chapter unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood you have no life in you. The word there eat that we translate is actually munch. It's to masticate. It's not spiritual, folks. Because such was their response that we will see later. They understood it how he was saying it. They're thinking cannibalism, horrendous. How are we to actually eat his flesh? Well, he'll have to die for us to do that. But how would we do that? How would we actually chew on his flesh and drink his blood? This is the first time that he's talked about his blood. We've heard he's the bread of heaven that came down. Food. Now flesh and blood, both together. If they were astounded that he was talk about eating his flesh, even more so about drinking his blood. Because remember the Levitical laws. The laws in Leviticus said that no Jew was ever allowed to drink or consume blood of anything. That's why there are still kosher butchers. It comes back from that time. They were to be killed, animals were to be killed in such a way that all of the blood drained out of them. So that if they ate, they ate flesh without any blood left in there because blood is the life force of living things. Jews saw that the blood itself contained the very life of anything that was created. So horror upon horror... Bad enough that he's saying that he's come down from heaven. Even worse to say that um, he is the true bread. Worse still that his bread is the the, the 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 bread that he gives is his flesh. And even worse still that they're to drink his blood. Now, just as an aside, remember these laws in Leviticus are both ceremonial laws and moral laws. There are two different sets of laws that we find in, uh, in the Torah, in the five books of Moses. The ceremonial laws were given to them when they were worshipping the God who, who, tabernacle, who was in the tabernacle during the wilderness wandering, whose presence was with them in the tabernacle, and then later when they settled in the temple in Jerusalem, God's glory dwelt there. And so these laws are provided for them for ceremony. The moral law has never, ever changed. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. He places within that law an even deeper meaning in the Sermon on the Mount. The ceremonial laws become obsolete with Jesus because he is the true temple. Says in John, he tabernacled amongst us. His flesh Becomes the tabernacle of God Himself. So all of the ceremonial laws that were given for their wilderness wandering, for the time in the temple worship and sacrifices, are no longer valid. Jesus will say, "It's not the food that you eat that is that is bad for you. It's what comes out of your heart that is what is bad." And so all of those ceremonial laws are superseded. The moral laws maintain and in fact Jesus makes them go deeper but these ceremonial laws were for their life of worship the worship of God and remember they included the sacrifice of lambs and on Passover the sacrifice of pure lambs without blemish they were inspected so that they were perfect ready for the sacrifice and remember when the Passover, the first Passover, that they were instructed to sacrifice lambs, to eat all of the lamb, nothing consumed but the blood of the lamb. What did they do with the blood of the lamb before the Exodus? They daubed the lintels of their houses with the blood of the lamb because that was a sign for the last plague, When the angel of death passed over, it would pass over the houses that were marked with the lamb's blood. And then they could leave through the waters of the the Red Sea. They would be brought out of their slavery through the daubing of the lintels with the blood of the lamb, through the waters of the Red Sea, out of slavery. You know there's a, path, there's a phrase that we use with the consecration of the Eucharist that says Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. See the Jews since that first Passover celebrated each year the Passover so that they remembered what God had done to bring them out of slavery. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the final sacrifice. There are no more sacrifices necessary. He is the purest Lamb without blemish. There was no sin found in him. His blood is given so that the angel of death passes over. This is not an outside daubing with the blood. His blood is internal to us and brings us out of slavery to sin, our perfect exodus from sin and death into kingdom life. It is given for us life, the lifeblood of Christ himself. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, remains in me, and I in them. See, Jesus understands that he's feeding us with his very self, with himself. His blood is the life force of Christ himself given to us. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Make no mistake, he's not spiritualizing his body and his blood. We are munching on his flesh, drinking his blood, so much so that we hear on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And disciples who had been with him not the twelve, but other disciples who had been with him from his baptism in the Jordan by John the Baptist, who had seen these amazing miracles that he, that he did for those who were sick, bringing them back to life again. The amazing teaching with such authority for this rabbi who had not gone to rabbinical school and yet was, had so much more wisdom than those who had. They'd experienced all of that and we hear from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Such were his words. You must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood if you are to have life within you. So how... Does he give us his flesh? How does he give us his blood to drink? We need to go to the upper room the night before he was betrayed. And he sat at table for the last supper, the Passover meal. See all of the connections with the Passover. And he's sitting there and we hear in Luke's gospel, he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this, is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His body broken on the cross, the spear with the blood that issued from his side. True flesh, true blood. And Paul would say, writing to the Corinthians, he's evidently given them instructions on how to gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to celebrate together Holy Communion, Holy Eucharist, the communion that draws us and knits us together with God himself. And they're just all over the place with their worship. And he says this, I received from the Lord. Remember, he received directly from Jesus Christ. He was taught by Christ. After Christ's death, resurrection and ascension, he taught St. Paul directly after his conversion on the road to Damascus. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus On the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul went on to say, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Each time we come to the Eucharist, we have those words of his sacrifice for us, of what God has done. In creation of our sin, our fall, his redemption through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And then we repeat these words, the words of institution. We repeat every single worship service, the words that Christ spoke on that that day before he died for us. So much has been written in the West on people trying to explain how this mystery works. It's mystery, folks. And so we don't get to know that. The Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox churches are quite happy to remain in that mysterion. their theologians have never actually tried to really describe what happens to the elements, how they become the plain bread and the plain wine become for us the body and blood of Christ. They do. Jesus is present. He is truly present. He has said so. It's enough that we know that Jesus has said what he has said, and he is true. Anglican divine Richard Hooker puts it this way, Christ's words quite plainly assure us that these mysteries, like nails, fasten us to his cross. By them, as regards efficacy, strength, and virtue, we draw out even the blood of his wounded side. In the wounds of our Redeemer we dip our tongue. We are dyed red both inside and out. Our hunger is satisfied and our thirst is quenched forever. Wonderful are the things that are felt. Great are the things that are seen. And unheard of are the things spoken by those whose soul is taken over by this Pascal Lamb, who are made joyful in the strength of this new wine, this bread has more substance to it than our eyes can see. This cup made holy with solemn blessing, affords us endless life and brings health to both soul and body. It serves as a medicine both to heal our infirmities and to cleanse our sins and as a sacrifice. Of thanksgiving. It sanctifies us by its touch. It enlightens our belief. It conforms us into the image of Christ. We are unable to define what these elements are in themselves. It is enough for me to receive them as the body and blood of Christ. He promised that they are so, and that is sufficient, for he is able to accomplish that which he promises. Surely the only response of the faithful communicant can be, Oh my God, you are true. Oh my soul, you are happy. And if you thought it was just in the Anglican church, John Calvin who was the theologian of the Presbyterian movement, out of which we have so many different denominations, uh, Baptists, all of those that came out of Presbyterianism, out of John Calvin's theology. He held the sacrament in really high esteem. I am not satisfied, he said, with those persons who recognize that we have some communion with Christ when they would show what it is, make us partakers of the Spirit only, omitting mention of flesh and blood, as though all these things were said in vain, that his flesh is truly food, that his blood is truly drink, that none have life except those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. Nothing remains but to break forth in wonder at this mystery, which plainly neither the mind is able to conceive nor the tongue to express. Even though it seems unbelievable that Christ's flesh, separated from us at such a great distance, penetrates to us so that it becomes our food, let us remember how far the secret power of the Holy Spirit towers above our senses and how foolish it is to to wish to measure his immeasurableness by our measure. What then? Our mind does not comprehend. Let faith conceive that the Spirit truly unites things separated in space, I freely accept whatever can be made to express the true and substantial partaking of the body and blood of the Lord, which is shown to believers under the sacred symbols of the supper. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. Paul said, whoever eats of the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. We are to come to the altar, to come to the Lord's table, expecting to encounter Jesus and to be fed by him. Several years ago in a different congregation, there was a little girl. She was under two. Um, she had Down syndrome. Her name was Lauren. Um, She's actually now swimming and competing and, and winning uh, title uh, medals in swimming. But at that time, she was, she was not yet two. And her mom and her dad would put her in the nursery for the first part of the service. And then they'd, uh, they'd go and get her at the time of the piece to come in um, for the service. She was quick. <laughs> she was really fast. And if they weren't faster, which sometimes they were not, she would start to run. And she would run from those doors all the way down to the altar rail. But she didn't just run. She ran with her hand out. She ran with her hand out because she knew who met her there. She knew that in the Eucharist, in this holy sacrament, Jesus fed her with himself. I looked out at the congregation. If you had the blessing of standing this side of the altar rail as little Lauren ran up, the sheer joy on her face. I'm thinking, first communion classes wouldn't have instructed her in that. She knew better than most adults who met her, who she received. She truly fed on the body and blood Of Christ Jesus. It's a story of a man uh, who had something called Korsakoff syndrome. Ronald Grimes uh, recounts the story of a 57 year old man, Jimmy, as told by his neurologist. Jimmy can remember events prior to 1945, but subsequent to that time, he has no memory, no memory. And forgets everything as soon as it happens. He doesn't remember anything. It can happen and he can't remember anything. The disease is labeled but hardly explained by the tag korsakoff syndrome. His neurologist thinks that memory, temporality, and narrative constitute selfhood, that those are the things that constitute ourselves, that without those, there's truly no self. However, one day, his neurologist, his doctor, asks the sisters who are caring for Jimmy if they think he has a soul. The response of the sisters is one of outrage and they extend an invitation to the doctor to watch Jimmy in chapel. This is the doctor's account of that experience. He said, I was moved, profoundly moved and impressed because I saw here an intensity and steadiness of attention and concentration that I had never seen before in him or conceived him evil capable capable of. I watched him kneel and take the sacrament on his tongue and could not doubt the fullness and totality of communion, the perfect alignment of his spirit with the spirit of the mass, fully, intensely, quietly, in the quietude of absolute concentration and attention, he entered and partook of holy communion. He was wholly held, wholly absorbed by a feeling. There was no forgetting, no Korsakoff's then, nor did it seem possible or imaginable that there should be, for he was no longer at the mercy of faulty and fallible mechanism, that of meaningless sequences and memory traces, but he was absorbed in an act, an act of his whole being, which carried feeling and meaning in an organic continuity and unity. A continuity and unity so seamless it could not permit any break. The sisters were right. He did find his soul there. See, when the mind goes, when our finite mind that cannot fully conceive all things, when that ends our infinite God breaks through and comes to us in this mystery. When you come, know that God's hand has passed through the veil. These are bodies of dust that are weighed of the dust and return to the dust are given the food of heaven itself, are given the food of the sacrificed, resurrected, ascended flesh and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he feeds us with the food of heaven for our sustenance, for the forgiveness of our sins, for new life in him to change us from one degree of glory into his likeness. May we come expecting to find Jesus. Amen.